Century number 10 for Brendan Taylor. He's got the Australian captain. We're talking about Rivada, we're talking about how good he is. And there it is. His 39th one day international 100. The King gets his crown at the Adelaide Oval. Go on, taken deep in Wigan. Glenn Maxwell celebrates Eric Cole. He cannot believe it in the middle of the ground. Welcome to the DNet Stumps podcast. Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket show with expert analysis by Dean Duplessis. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Great to be back with you after a bit again. Quite a bit coming up in the show, so let's get straight into it, shall we? We are, first of all, we're mainly focusing on the upcoming One Day International Series, the Super League One Day International Series. Three very crucial games because both Ireland and Zimbabwe desperately needing points at this moment in time, and especially Zimbabwe. So we will be hearing from former Zimbabwe Test opening batsman, now commentator Tina Moyo. And we'll also be catching up with former Irish ladies player Isabel Joyce the ever-smiling Isabel Joyce. Then we'll be rounding it off quite nicely with a bit of dessert. Neil Manthorpe, South African journalist, will be talking to us about the recently concluded one-day international series between um, Sri Lanka and South Africa, which of course ended in the demise of South Africa, losing that series by two matches to one, and there's quite a bit to talk about in that upcoming particular series between uh, or as we hear from Neil Mantop so quite a bit to look forward to here on uh, the Dean at Stumps podcast You're listening to Dean at Stumps hosted by Dean Duplessis Right well we'll be hearing from Isabel Joyce the former Island lady player in a bit but let's first of all catch up with former test opener from Zimbabwe Tino Mawoyo, who's actually based in Bangladesh at the moment, covering the Bangladesh-New Zealand series. Tino, it seems to me that Bangladesh has pretty much now become another home to you. It has, Dean. I think I think it's been that for the better part of four or five years now. Um, blessed to get uh, so many opportunities to come and work out here, um, and an enjoyable place nonetheless. Um, coming out so often, I've got to know the people. Uh, understand the culture, the cuisine. So, yeah, um, they have a lot of cricket, and, and it's nice to be able to uh, to take part and cover, you know, some of their cricket when they're playing out here. And I mean, it's uh, it's wonderful because the the relationship between the Bangladesh Cricket Board and Zimbabwe Cricket has been a very good one for a number of years. So it's nice that I suppose after cricket you can actually give something back to both boards. So you obviously are doing a lot of work with and for Zimbabwe cricket, but you also still have a very big and keen interest in Bangladesh cricket after you would have played against them on a couple of occasions. Absolutely. Um, And I think that relationship uh, between the two boards has also been uh, beneficial for me and getting these opportunities. So grateful for that. Um, and yeah, a lot of stuff does happen behind the scenes uh, between the two boards. And, and as you say, um, a very strong relationship between the two boards. Um, and, you know, long may that continue. OK, yes, absolutely. So let's talk a bit about the upcoming. Well, let's first of all do a bit of a of a review of the recently concluded T20 series. So obviously Zimbabwe going down by three games to two. Is that something that you would have expected, uh, given the fact that Zimbabwe are in Ireland and Ireland have their home conditions? 
Um, uh, that's a tough one, Dean. Probably uh, more disappointed than anything else. Mm. Um, conditions would have been very different for them, yes. And, and again, um, a much younger side picked by uh, the selectors. But that's the way that Zimbabwe cricket decided to go. So you would expect that uh, they have the belief that uh, whoever has been picked on the day on the field will produce the results. Um, I most certainly would have been happier with uh, um, a 3-2 margin in favour of Zimbabwe, of course. And, and I say that because, um, you know, we've played a lot of cricket uh, of late. Um, the, the, the series against Afghanistan, which had three T20s. Um, Pakistan had three T20s. We managed to win one there. And the Bangladesh series as well, where... I felt, you know, we could have got a couple of victories uh, had we uh, done everything as well as we could have. So, um, disappointing in that sense. Um, and and just not really the step up that I expected to see from, from some players. I thought, you know, Regis Chakaba gave us um, a taste of some wonderful cricket in, in the series prior to that against Bangladesh at home and, and didn't quite follow through. Got a 47 um, in quick time, the one game. But... You know, if you're not going to have a Brendan Taylor, if you're not going to have a Sikandar Raza and a Sean Williams in, in your T20 batting lineup, then you would expect that, uh, you know, Regis would, would step up. Wesley, who's been good at the top of the order, didn't give us the numbers we expected. And uh, just not the consistency, really, I've seen from, from all the players through the lineup. So, you know, we'll have to get that right before we go into the ODIs. It's, uh, it's a much longer match, of course. And, and uh, you know, you've got to be on point for the majority, if not all of those 50 overs, if you're going to get the right results. So, Tino, I mean, obviously, I think every Zimbabwe cricket lover and, and indeed around the world, for that matter, would have loved to have seen the younger players stand up and be counted and give better accounts of themselves. Now, admittedly, the conditions in Ireland are different to Zimbabwe. We un- understand and acknowledge that. But um, hindsight, of course, is, is a different thing. But would you do you feel a bit happier with some of the senior players returning? Because it certainly seems like the when they aren't there, that uh, unfortunately there are more questions as opposed to answers. I'm definitely happy of seeing uh, uh, the senior guys getting back into the side. Um, and I'll be more so happier if, if their presence will bring the results that Zimbabwe are looking yeah, for. Yeah. So, um, you know, we saw Brendan Taylor coming back into the, the uh, one-day practice match as well as Sean. Uh, Sean got a few runs in that. Um, but yeah, you'll find again, and, and I and I always say this, whether I'm talking about the Zimbabwean team or I'm talking about the Sri Lankan team, which has taken uh, the stance that we're going to give an opportunity to some of the younger upcoming players. You know, in as much as you've got that and in as much as there's a lot of talent there, there's a lot more that they haven't learned about the international game, which in time they will, but they need those senior players there to learn from. Um, and they need the senior players to be leading from the front. So... You know, I really hope that their presence back in the batting lineup um, is going to bring runs and yield some results for Zimbabwe. Because if not, then it's very difficult, uh, you know, to really see the right way forward. If you've got youngsters that you're introducing, then they should be learning from those senior players. Yeah, and and I think uh, you've just touched on a very valid point, Tino. So you want your senior players there, but you want the, the younger players to be learning from the senior players. So to see the senior players... Um, leading from the front will then hopefully rub off on on the younger players in terms of structuring an innings or or um, putting together a good consistent bowling spell as well. That's exactly it. Um, and I think if you if you look at you know the world over, you know very often, especially in in uh, teams like Australia and England, um, possibly India as well. 
in the longer version of the game, you'll find that you know they'll have some senior players who are easily past 35, approaching 40, and and you know those guys will be um, the ones that are you know the glue in 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 the batting lineup, and the rest of the players chipping around them, the young, more adventurous players coming and maybe score you know uh, a quick 50 here or whatever the case may be. But they're learning from those people, and I think a really yeah. good example. Um, if I think back to maybe four or five years ago, was uh, Miss Bottle Huck when he was coming to the end of his career as captain of Pakistan, and Yunus Khan as well. Um, I thought they were brilliant in how they pulled along the youngsters towards the end of their career. Um, and once they left, you know, they left at the time where they were confident that, you know, we've got a few youngsters who've gone through um, the system under our wings and, you know, will be, we'll be quality players in years to come. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and those are very good points that you make. I mean, there's so many that you can think of. I, I, I feel that, you know, for example, um, Jacques Callas from South Africa learned a lot from Brian McMillan, uh, two, two all-rounders. And from a Zimbabwe perspective, I felt that as soon as Dave Houghton left, Andy Flower immediately and effortlessly filled that gap, you know, because of the fact that he played alongside Dave Houghton for so many years. And and uh, similarly, I also felt that Tenda Taibu also did very uh, something very similar when Andy Flower left, mm. you know, and and he took Absolutely. over the, the wicket keeping and batting without any any problems whatsoever. All right, Tino. So your time is your time is limited. So let's cut this short. Um, in terms of a result, we heard Isabel. Well, we're going to be hearing from Isabel Joyce in a bit, and we'll hear what her uh, thoughts are on the outcome between the two sides. What do you think? How do you think it'll stand come Monday when the third and final one day will be played? When that's done, I'm going to go uh, two one with Zimbabwe, Dean, um, and I'm going to go two one with Zimbabwe because um, yeah, Brendan Taylor, Sekandaraza, don't know how much he'll play in in the uh, one day setup. I think he'll probably be uh, pushed lower down the order. Where Zimbabwe have got a few other batters. I think Brendan Taylor probably to the top of the innings. Sean Williams, who's uh, had a bit of a cloud in the media and didn't take part in, in those T20s. I think those guys are going to be extremely hungry to do well for Zimbabwe. Um, and I think they want to prove their worth. So because of that, I think that's just going to give Zimbabwe the edge. And uh, as you've seen, we, we've struggled with the batting in these T20 matches that we played. And um, I think that, uh, you know, if they can come in and contribute positively, uh, with the bat and Zimbabwe have runs on the board, or if it may be chasing, um, then I think we might just uh, we might just be able to get over the line two one. Uh, we've seen that with the bowlers, we've uh, been able to in white ball cricket anyway the last few seasons defend you know some really low totals. Mm. Um, but we've struggled when we've been chasing. I think a couple of times that you know Ireland got 170. I think it was in the third and the fourth T20s. Uh, you know we we lost by 60 odd runs and 40 runs. So. You know, that, that betting firepower is important, and I and that's why I think it might just be 2-1. Okay, Tino, so thank you very much. Uh, let me just briefly, just from your personal perspective, I'm sure you, you wouldn't really know the answer, but do you think Sean may possibly retract the statement of wanting to leave, Sean Williams, that is, after the series, or do you think his mind is pretty made up? <laughs> it's an interesting one, you know. So, I mean, I've just seen a whole lot of stuff in the media. I'm yeah. yet to actually see... Um, anything official from Sean Williams himself or to hear anything official from, you know, his mouth. So, um, you know, whatever the case may be, I think um, if he has made that decision, um, it's rather unfortunate for me because I think he's still got so much to offer for Zimbabwe cricket. Um, however, we will see. Like I said, I think I think he's hungry 
And um, I really do think that him and Brendan Taylor in particular are going to make a difference in this one-day series. Um, and I hope they do. And, and maybe if he has made that decision, then maybe that can sway him. But like I said, uh, Sean Williams, I think, just got on 35. Um, has been scoring plenty of runs for Zimbabwe in the last couple of series. And I really think that he's got so much more to offer and a lot of the, of the youngsters to learn from um, in terms of what we're talking about. So yeah, I just I I just think that you know um, him and Brendan Taylor are very important. You know, I was just looking at you know the Super League table. Ireland um, at the moment have paid twelve. They've won three thirty-five points, and uh, Zimbabwe at the moment languishing at thirteenth with just ten points. So you know, a series like this uh, against Ireland very important to try and get those points. Um, the next one will probably be against Afghanistan at home, and then uh, away to Sri Lanka. So those tours. You know, a little bit more tougher, you would feel, um, as opposed to Ireland in terms of trying to collect maximum points. So I think that may just be something that's driving the Zimbabwean team as well. You're listening to Dean at Stumps, hosted by Dean Duplessis. Well, as always, very, very good insights from uh, Tina Mawio, former, former test batsman for Zimbabwe. All right. So we've now heard from Tina Mawio. Let's now catch up with former Ireland ladies player. Isabel Joyce. Isabel, thank you very much for your time. Great to be chatting to you. Um, quite a bit has happened with you in the last since the last time that we spoke about three years ago. Yes, um, yeah, I'm obviously not playing um, international cricket anymore, but um, I've had a little baby boy and um, doing some commentary. Um, so watching from the sidelines, really, and really enjoying it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's been an interesting series. The T20 series now done and dusted with Ireland winning that by three games to, do, to two. Is that something that you expected? I wasn't really sure, to be honest. I think both teams are going through a bit of a transition period, which we've spoken about at length. And neither group is probably sure what their best team is. Um, I'm not sure they've answered the questions really from that series. Yeah. And they obviously know some more, but certainly for Ireland, there are a few headaches knowing what their you know their best bowling attack is, and there are one or two batting spots up for grabs. And and the same can be said for Zimbabwe, especially with uh, some senior players like Brendan Table, uh, Taylor, and Sakanda uh, Raza not playing. Yeah, Sikander, absolutely. Um, and but it's it, it was interesting just sort of watching the the series unfold, and it seemed to me that. Um, Ireland had a, I don't want to use the word complacency because that's a bit harsh, but um, in the lower scoring games, that's where they seem to come unstuck. So when Zimbabwe did set them a, a good total in the second T20, Ireland chased it down without breaking much of a sweat. But it was the first and then the final one, which I would imagine from an Ireland perspective would have been a bit frustrating, you know, not being able to, to finish it off. Yeah, completely agree. It, it's such a funny one in cricket. Uh, people say those kinds of totals, one one kind of 15 to 130 are nearly trickier because you're supposed to make sure that you win as opposed to just going out and attacking. Sometimes when it's a higher total, you can kind of throw caution to the wind and, and trust your ability. But it takes kind of a, a, a cool head to sometimes to negotiate a, a lower total. And it'll be worrying for Ireland that they, they haven't got that player that's willing to just dig in. Um, and, and make sure that they get over the line in those kinds of situations. It seems to me like in situations like this, um, for example, with Ireland and, and with Zimbabwe, there's always 
being that one player who towers head and shoulders above the rest of, of his or her teammates, and you know the the rest almost seem to have to follow or feed off their energy and and if that that big player doesn't necessarily perform then sometimes the the rest of the team is found wanting as well yeah it's really difficult i think when you're in a team like ireland and it's the same with zimbabwe when you rely on someone it's kind of your talisman yeah. when they don't perform if there aren't players in the team that really you know are kind of seeking the limelight for want of a better word you want players in your team who actually want to be the ones doing the work if that makes sense yes so yes. you know like a harry tector coming in and saying no i want to be the one that that wins the game for ireland i think he is that kind of character but he, he hasn't done it in a while he's probably he's had a lot of chances and he, he's probably not quite done himself justice um, and I think that's the case for both teams and, and both teams have players who've been, you know, their top players for a long time now without other players coming through and, and kind of taking some of the pressure off them. I think for Ireland anyway, Curtis Camfer is probably a disappointing loss with that injury. He He's certainly someone who looked like he was willing to take on that role. Um, and I think for Zimbabwe, Wesley Madavera is probably disappointed with how he's gone. Yeah, that's that's very good analogies. Absolutely right. So, looking ahead to the one-day series now, this is an interesting one because again, the consistency or the lack of consistencies by both these two sides is going to make it an interesting one. But do you feel that Ireland may have the slight advantage playing at home? I think so. The conditions are obviously friendly for Ireland. Um, the fact that they're playing at home and now Storm will will, will play well. But it's get coming into autumn and it's getting a little bit chillier. Um, certainly yesterday there was a practice match in the north of Ireland in CIYMS and it didn't look very warm. So that'll play into Ireland's hands, you'd have to think. Um, and I think that even though it was it was 2-1 in the series against some, uh, against South Africa recently, that big win against South Africa will, will um, stand them in good stead, Ireland, for their confidence coming into the series. Yeah, and that's the difference, isn't it? Because Ireland now have that, that understanding that they are actually able to beat some of the really big guns, whereas Zimbabwe have kind of, I suppose, lost a bit of that, that winning culture, the momentum, the understanding of being able to bring down the big guns. I mean, tell us a bit about that win against South Africa. Would you say that that was one of the biggest highlights in Irish cricket? I mean, I know that the World Cups, some of the World Cups have been very special, but in terms of uh, bilateral series, that must have been amazing. I think it was right up there, to be honest, because it's funny, you, you have kind of histories against certain teams, don't you? Yeah. Um, and South Africa were always the team, like along with probably Australia, who not only beat Ireland, but beat us like to a pulp, you know, <laughs> uh, really really the results that would make you question why you're playing anymore, that kind of thing. And, it, you know, to win against them, they're obviously a really huge cricketing nation, but to win against them at home, um, you know, in that kind of fashion was absolutely huge. Um, so to like, you know, they didn't have a couple of their bigger players playing, you know, that can be kind of, that can be said, but yeah. South Africa should be able to, to put a good team on the park regardless. But, you know, big knock for Mandy Belburn, he got 102. And I think what was really pleasing was, was Harry Tector and George Dockwell coming in at 79 and 45 and, and closing things out. That will have pleased um, Captain or Coach Ford the most. Um, and it's just another team ticked off for Ireland, you know. Um, if there are any few left that we haven't managed to 
um, that we haven't managed to get one over on. Um, so they can always draw from that well. Anyone that was in that team can draw from that well when they're in a bit of strife that, you know, they've done it against the big boys. And even in the third game of that series, a, a really good century from Simi Singh will have buoyed him as well. So some good performances. Um, they'll be disappointed with their performances against Netherlands earlier in the summer. Um, so they want to put that behind them completely. And uh, I think they're searching for probably 30 points. Whether they'll get that, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I think there's definitely big performances in this Zimbabwe team, especially big players coming back in. Do you know what I always find so amazing, Isabel, is um, when the lesser nations beat a really big team is that we're always able to remember the exact individual scores of batsmen and what their bowling figures were because it is so special wasn't it i mean i i for example from a zimbabwean perspective i remember dave houghton's innings of 142 i mean that was back in 1987 and and duncan fletcher taking four wickets and and scoring a half century it's amazing how us cricket lovers are able to almost like uh, what would you call it a dictionary or or a website able to store that information and remember yeah, the exact recall, recall, definitely <laughs> completely agree with you absolutely amazing so we know about paul sterling fantastic player we know about andrew Ber uh, andrew balboni very very good captain and a fine player himself but harry tector we know about as well um uh, who else can we look out for in in this series and um, George Dockrell's the form player in, in oh, yeah. the domestic competition. He's got some incredible stats. Um, I wish I had them to hand, but they're you know he's he's only been dismissed a, a few times. Um, he's the current captain of the Leinster Lightning, and um, he just has a knack of finishing games. And he, he's yet to quite do it with the bat at international level. You'll know more for his left arm spin. Yes, but um, he's basically told this year to go in work more in his batting because that's where they saw him in the team and he's done that and forced his way in through weighted runs so he's he's shown glimpses of it I think we saw it in the second game uh, of the T20 series in, in Clontarf where he finished the game off um, for Ireland hitting over extra cover a couple of times um, and, and finishing the game easily but yeah he's a big one to watch and then Josh Little with the ball along with Mark Adair Mark Adair what seven wickets in the last two games yes. in the T20s, yeah. and then Josh Little, um, his left arm uh, seam is really exciting. He bowls at some serious pace, um, and then there's the spinners, Simi Singh and Andy McBride. And uh, Simi Singh is the top wicket taker for Ireland this year and scored that century in, in the final ODI against South Africa that I mentioned. So a real all rounder. What I like about Josh Little is well, there's two things you've already alluded to his pace. I mean, he is right up there. I've I've seen him bowl at. What, close on 90 miles an hour as well so yeah. uh, he's got that but he's also got a little bit of of aggression he certainly isn't afraid to dish it out in terms of giving a couple of bats batters send-off Quinton de Kock I think got a bit of a send-off and you know and you do need that bit of fire and spice in the team don't you yeah something that I smiled as soon as I as you started talking about Josh there because I knew what was coming and you're right <laughs> you, you want those players in your team that you know, they want to be in the battle. I remember a coach of mine, I actually can't remember who, which one it was, but they were talking about um, Kira Metcalf, who I used to play cricket with. And basically, whenever she got into a battle, she loved it. As a leg spinner, it's really important as well, where she just was so determined to get whoever it was out. And she didn't worry about being taken on. She kind of fed off that aggression yeah. from the batter and took them on and Josh Little is very much like that and the other thing that I like about him is that he's actually a student of the game and, and lots of people wouldn't think that about him they think he just turns up and does what he does but he does a huge amount of research knows everything about everyone he's playing against all their stats all their 
foibles and um but he doesn't show that really in his personality like that you'd see on the pitch so um yeah he's a character in the team uh he's a brilliant fielder as well so great man to have about the about the group do you know what I really enjoy about or admire about George Dockrell? As you say, we initially got to know him as a, a very t- talented left-arm spinner. That, unfortunately, has maybe fallen a bit by the wayside. But but he's worked so hard on his batting. And, and I know that he hasn't quite done it yet at the international level. But again, that tells me that he too is a student of the game. Because if his left-arm spin hadn't been going well for him, he could just as easily have you know, knocked it on the head and, and maybe moved on and, and done anything else. But he's he's realised that he's struggling a bit with his bowling and has worked very hard on improving his batting. Yeah, he's uh, he's actually such a smart guy as well. You're right, he could have gone down a different path. And he's he, he started in the Irish team so young, I w- it wouldn't have been a surprise to see him kind of fall by the wayside at quite a young age because it's a long time to play cricket at the high level, um, especially when you come in as a teenager. But uh, I actually had the pleasure of working with him when I coached in Trinity, um, the college Trinity. He, he went there and he was playing in the team and he decided then that was when he was going to start working on his batting. And he just works so hard, but is a great um, guy around the group. He was just yeah. super enthusiastic, even though he was playing with just a bunch of college students, basically. Um, and yeah, it would have been hard to take being told, look, we're not really thinking about your left arm spin at the moment, when, especially when that's your identity. Um, but he took it on the chin and he just kept on working away. And I think it would, you know, people would have wanted not to pick him because um, he kind of, ha- you know, it's an Irish thing. He had his chance, um, but he just made it so that they couldn't ignore him. And uh, he's come into the team and he's, you know, he's quietly going about his business. Nothing huge yet. Mm. Very difficult coming in the middle order anyway um, to to score centuries and things like that. Um, but yeah, he's just, again, another great guy to have around the group. But, you know, you get so many of those players who contribute significantly to the success of their team. I mean, you you remember Jeremy Coney, so he didn't exactly have the greatest in terms of converting 50s into 100s and so on. But he was so consistent at the back end of the of the New Zealand innings, you know, that eventually that also enabled him to captain the side as well. So you, you get those players that don't necessarily get you match winning 100s in the middle order, but those very consistent 50s and 60s and, and the occasional wicket there are so influential in in, in winning games or, or being competitive. Yeah, I, I've i read a, an article called, uh, I, I can't remember the name of the article, but it was about glue players. And they're the hardest fi- players to find. And those are the players that glue your team together. They're the ones that will put in all the work in the gym. They, you know, they set the standards at training. They'll throw themselves around. They'll score the extra 10 runs that maybe were difficult. They'll bowl the difficult overs. They probably don't have the stats that, you know, you would you would expect from your, you know, your Paul Sterlings or your Andy Balbernies. But you need those players in your team and they'll add two and three percenters everywhere off the pitch, um, in the gym, at training, whatever it is. And you need them as well as the big hitters because not everyone can play like Paul Sterling. It's just it, you can't have 11 players in your team. That, pl- that play like that or that bowl like Josh Little because we, we all know you, you can't pick 11 yeah. of the same players it just doesn't work um, you need those guys who are willing to put in a little bit extra in different ways and who'll do the unglamorous work um, and, and that's really what makes a, a brilliant team and you look, think of the ultimate glue player is Jack Callis I mean he has incredible numbers but actually he could have been a top level yes. player at either batting or bowling but he, he was willing to do the all-rounders job and, and bowl the overs that probably no one else wanted. 
Yeah, it's a very, very good point. Well, so that's the one-day international series coming up, the T20 series won by Ireland, three games to two. Are you going to put your neck on the block and give us a prediction as to how you think this will series will, series will result-wise will end? Yeah, I think it's going to be 2-1 to Ireland. <laughs> it's amazing. I think everybody I've spoken to has said exactly that, 2-1 to Ireland because of the inconsistency of both sides. Yeah. And you may find one of those where Zimbabwe make 119 and Ireland fall three runs short or something of that nature again, uh, one of those. Well, I, back, I back those experienced players for Zimbabwe to definitely get them over the line once. Um, I just wonder about whether they have enough cricket in them to, to do it twice or three times. Yeah, yeah, that's what it's been. That's how it's been for them throughout the season, really, with wins against Pakistan and Bangladesh, admittedly in the T20 stuff. But... Uh, they haven't had a win in a one-day international for quite some time. Isabel Joyce, thank you so much for your time. It's always a great pleasure talking to you and wishing you all the best with motherhood and with commentary as well. Thank you very much, Dean. You're listening to Dean at Stumps, hosted by Dean Duplessis. Right then, two down, one to go. So that was Isabel Joyce. Uh, so she says it is going to be a 2-1 series win to Ireland. Well, Tina Moel is of the opinion that it will be a 2-1 series win to Zimbabwe. So, final port of call is Sri Lanka, where Neil Manthorpe is currently covering the ongoing series between Sri Lanka and Zimbabwe. So, it's been a bit of a tough time for the South Africans, losing the one-day series by two games to one. And um, I, first of all, started asking, started off by asking Neil Manthorpe... Um, how disappointing this would be for the South Africans. It is. It is worrying, um, Dean. But it's not entirely unexpected, to be honest. Um, you know that it's it's tough times for South African cricket. I think it's at an all-time low, certainly in the modern era. Um, and I mean, the, the the decision to rest Quinton de Kock and. David Miller, um, when World Cup Super League points are so important, this series was was critical, really, in many ways for South Africa because they've got um, really tough assignments coming up against India and Australia away and England. Um, and they're going to need to probably win two out of those three um, in order to make sure that they finish in the top eight and qualify automatically for the 2023 World Cup. Um, and... It was a throwback to their worst possible days against spin. It was a used pitch in the third um, and deciding one-day international. Um, but, uh, but to be reduced to 54 for six and eventually scrape their way to 125 and lose by 78 runs was, was frankly embarrassing. Um, and uh, and they, you know, they, they are licking very, very deep wounds this morning, the day after, because uh, they've lost another series. And of course now the very, very real possibility is that a mighty team like South Africa who've dominated this format of cricket for a number of years, there, there is every, every possibility that they may be coming to Zimbabwe in order to try and qualify for the World Cup. Who would ever have thought that that would be possible? I mean, if we had said a South African cricket team would have to maybe qualify for a World Cup, you know, most people would have laughed you out of the room. Well, um, yeah, a few of us might have been a little ahead of uh, the majority in seeing a, a situation like this materialising. Look, they could still scrub.
can't see them beating India in India in mm. a one-day international series. I can't see them beating England any as anyhow. Um, even if England uh, send their B team, um, it, they were too good for Pakistan. Um, so uh, you know, and and going to Australia, I know Australia are also in the doldrums at the moment, but. Um, Going to Australia um, to, to try and win, I think, would be extremely difficult. So, I mean, it's it's not unprecedented in the world of cricket because, as I said, I, I mean, I think the World Cup Super League is a brilliant, brilliant innovation. Yes. Um, and I think qualification um, over a long period of uh, number of series, um, eight series, everyone plays eight series, just to remind uh, listeners, four at home, four away. Um, and I, I think it's... It's a, it's, a, it's a brilliant system because um, nobody, I mean, it's human nature, I think, to appreciate things more if you earn them uh, rather than if they're given to you. And South Africa have to earn their right to, to play in the 2023 World Cup. And as I was saying, it's not unprecedented because the West Indies came to um, Zimbabwe um, to qualify for the last World Cup. Yeah. Um, and that was uh, something of a... Of a, of a, well, I wouldn't say humiliation, but it was certainly a, a feet on the ground moment for the great West Indies team having to go and pre-qualify. And um, all I would say is that, that, that over the course of eight series, luck is, I think, taken out of the equation. Yeah, sure, you might have the odd game rained off against a minnow team who you're expected to beat. But uh, over the course of eight series, if South Africa end up in Harare playing Papua New Guinea, Scotland and... Um, uh, and, and Namibia for a, a right to, to, to be at the 2023 World Cup, then, then they would have deserved that fate. Um, you know, there's no, there's no point uh, looking back at the great South African teams of, of the past, none of which were good enough to win a World Cup, by the way. Yeah. But, but there's no point saying, um, <laughs> there's no point saying, oh, how the mighty have fallen, because that's fact. The mighty are falling. Yeah, I think it's that's a very good point. I mean, as you'd say, had South Africa perhaps maybe won the World Cup in 1999 or 1992, you know, those those two particular years, then uh, you perhaps could have said a different thing. But uh, everybody's going through transitional phases and, and stages. Um, but have you been able to, were you in touch with any of these South Africans? I know that there are bubbles and so on, but I, I would imagine you said earlier on that they are licking wounds, but... Um, you know, were you able to chat to one or two and, and just, just get a bit of a, a feel as to how the camp is doing right now? Yeah, it's. I have to say, um, I don't know, um, I can only guess at how many of, of uh, your listeners have got experience of living in a biosecure bubble environment, mm. but it's it's not pleasant and it's also bizarre. I mean, it's weird. Um, the, the broadcast, uh, the hotel where the broadcast production team is staying is no more than four kilometers away from where the South African team, well, both teams are staying. Um, they're closer to the ocean, but they're also not allowed to go to the ocean. And neither are we. We're um, confined to, to two floors of, of this hotel. Um, and, but in many ways, Dean, so to answer your question, I've had conversations with the South African players from a distance um, of, you know, a few meters yeah. when we've been at the ground. But um, but this is a, a I mean it's a, it's a it's an insecure South African camp at the moment and um, you know that um, people are looking over their shoulders a lot. The coach Mark Bouch is under immense pressure 
there's there's there really is a, a, a witch hunt um, in certain sections of, of South African cricket and certain sections of the media. Um, and and so when you actually speak to players in public, um, they're all very wary and, and don't want to be overheard and don't want to have their conversations. Do you know what I mean? There's a kind of yeah, paranoia yeah. and insecurity. Yeah. It's not a situation that you will be unfamiliar with uh, in, in some Zimbabwean teams in the past. Um, but what that does mean is that we're all sitting in our hotel rooms in two different biosecure bubbles, which merge on match days into one big bubble. But it does mean that we spend a lot of time having conversations on 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 WhatsApp and uh, and various other private forms of uh, of uh, communication. And uh, yeah, I mean, I can tell you that uh, uh, the worst thing that can happen to a professional sports team and a cricket team in particular is that everyone starts to look out for out for themselves. Um, and just tries to keep their own backsides and noses clean and uh, just tries to, to make sure they do enough just to keep uh, themselves in the team and they can't be blamed for the team's uh, demise and the team's defeat. Um, it's, it's a very, very unhealthy situation and it'll take some time uh, to recover. So if you, if you were to, to um, force me to take a, a small note out of my wallet and put it on whether South Africa will qualify automatically for the 2023 World Cup or not, I would say probably at the moment not. Mm. Goodness me. Uh, you you mentioned Mark Boucher. Now obviously he is a very very stern um sort of a a, a stern person and he he is a no nonsense type of of player. He you know he had that on the field and I think even with his coaching uh, that that seems to be the case as well. But do you think that quite possibly the hourglass is running out for for Bouch? Do you think that maybe there will be a review of his contract and his future with uh, the Proteus when this particular series is done? Absolutely, Dean. Inevitably. Um, mm. Absolutely um, inevitable. Uh, look, um, Mark Boucher won uh, many medals and trophies as a player, and he's won quite a few more with the, as coach of the Titans. Um, but it's fair to say that none of those um, trophies and, and medals were won uh, through tact, um, or um, uh, um, good nature, yeah. uh, kind of good nature. Um, as you say, he's tough, he's uncompromising. He never asked uh, to be liked he, as a player, he, and he never seemed to care whether he was disliked or not. He had more run-ins with the opposition than, than anybody else. Um, but, you know, he, he, was, he was the tough guy. Uh, um, it was a position that he happily accepted. And unfortunately, um, it's meant that um, he's got few people in his corner now. Uh, and, and I think he'll, he'll pay the price uh, for that. I mean, we've got this, uh, the, 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 the social uh, justice and nation-building hearings um, talking about which, in which players have spoken about um, historical racial prejudice um, and Paul Adams' um, testimony in particular was hurtful towards uh, Boucher. But the narrative and the facts of the story have been completely lost in what I say, said has become a witch hunt uh, for his head. I, I would also say that when he was appointed as head coach, many eyebrows were raised, including my own, that he was given a four-year contract. Um, uh, you know, that's... It, I mean, even Gary Kirsten um, was only given a two-year contract when he was appointed as national coach in 2011 with an option on review to renew for another two years. 
um, you know, after a performance review. Boucher's contract was four straight years up to the 2023 World Cup, which was, which was. I mean, I know that South African cricket was very unstable at the time, and um, his his old mate and former captain Graham Smith, as director of cricket, was seeking some long-term stability, which is why he was given a four-year contract. But it was a, a it was a giant leap and a, and a leap too far. It was at the time, and it remains it remains so now. Um, I did say before this tour that uh, that South Africa would have to win it for him to have any chance of surviving. The, the point is, um, there's only a few days, uh, really, literally a couple of weeks, I suppose, um, before the T20 World Cup kicks off mm. after this series. Mm. Um, and then, you know, um, half a dozen of South Africa's players are going straight to the IPL. So is there actually time? Um, to to go through due process and and sack Mark Boucher and appoint uh, and a replacement in time for the T20 World Cup. I just don't think logistically there's uh, there's enough time. But um, again, I, I would have to say if you forced me to bet on it, I would say that he is a sacked coach walking at the moment. Very similar to the scenario that Otis Gibson had when he was appointed coach of South Africa because he was pretty much told, you need to win the World Cup or for South Africa or else. But of course, Mark Boucher is very different in the sense that he, I just get the feeling that there's so many eruptions that are happening behind the scenes and that, you know, are now beginning to infiltrate into the public eye uh, manners. And I guess the next question then would be, if South Africa were to take a very hastily, or it may not be so hasty, if they were to take that that decision and sack Mark Boucher, even as the World, the T20 World Cup looms, then who would the next man be to take over? Do you think that they would maybe invest time in, in someone like a Jeffrey Toyana? That's just a name that comes to mind. I, I don't know. But, um, you know, could that be somebody who would be in the pipeline? Or do you think it maybe want to go foreign again? No, they won't go foreign. No, Dean. I, I, I think um, they will definitely, definitely stay at home. The, um, the really interesting uh, side story, um, or one of many side stories, was the resignation of Boucher's assistant coach, Enoch Nkwe, who, yes. of course, was the interim coach before Boucher was appointed on a full-time basis. Now, Enoch Nkwe uh, resigned on the eve of departure for Sri Lanka. Um, and although he has not been directly quoted, he has been indirectly quoted as saying that he felt he was marginalised, sidelined, and reduced to the role of a cones boy, um, somebody who puts the cones out for fielding drills uh, before the start of play. He said that he wasn't uh, involved or consulted in the direction that the team was taking. And and he is also alleged to have said that uh, he was dismayed by the level of ill discipline uh, in the camp and that uh, a toxic environment prevailed. I just would have thought that if none of those quotes uh, were accurately attributed to him, he might have come forward and denied them. Uh, as I said, he's not been directly quoted at all. Um, and, and I, you know, there's, uh, there are many Machiavellian subplots in, in South African cricket at the moment. Many of them uh, Machiavelli might actually um, have uh, been quite proud of. I mean, they're, they're so, <laughs> they're so um, under, underhand. But I, I, I strongly suspect that um, 
that Boucher will be sacked um, almost as a, a convenient scapegoat. Um, and I, and I, I wonder whether Enoch and Quay was told by somebody in the know, in the new board, tell you what, step aside uh, because you don't want to be involved in the fallout of the mess um, and uh, you could find yourself head coach before you know it. Mm, yeah. So that, you know, it's perfectly reasonable to assume that he may have stepped aside now uh, because he's been told that there's a ticking bomb in the change room <laughs> and after it's gone off and the mess has cleared up, he can come over and come back and take over. Oh, absolutely phenomenal stuff. So there's a lot to look forward to, Neil Manthorpe. And uh, as you say, this this uh, qualifying, uh, the Super League qualifiers for the World Cup is, is something that I think that has been wanting in international cricket for a while because a lot of teams kind of just, well, the certainly the, the full member teams, you know, always had this this comfort, didn't they, of saying, well, we got a free ticket to the World Cup regardless of how poorly we play because we're a full member. We're going to get there now. That is no longer the case. And you could have a, a real Mano team getting ahead into that World Cup ahead of uh, one of the more established teams in international cricket. It's jolly good, isn't it? It's, it's brilliant. It's absolutely superb. Um, as I said, it's human nature to appreciate and cherish something that you have earned uh, rather than uh, something that you've been given. And you mentioned um, a Minnow team. Um, I, I don't know. You, you're you're closer to Namibia than than I am geographically, anyway. But um, I'm sure you would have noticed what uh, is happening there under head coach Pierre Joubert and yes. um, and Albi Morkel is having a big impact as well as uh, as assistant coach. But in recent times, Namibia have beaten uh, effectively a Namibia team. They were called emerging Namibia, but uh, many of their of their first choice first eleven players. They've beaten an emerging South Africa team, and I mean really beaten them. Uh, they've beaten an emerging Zimbabwe team, which also included many um, full internationals. Yes, yes. And then uh, recently, South Africa's champion franchise, the Titans, went up for a pre-season tournament uh, to play a couple of warm-up games against Namibia, and they were thrashed. They were bowled out for 43. Wow. Um, Namibia are playing some really, really impressive cricket. They are, of course... Uh, about to, to con, uh, compete in the in the T20 World Cup, and uh, I just really fancy that if anybody is going to produce an upset, um, and and of the the first stage of the T20 World Cup get into the main draw, it could just be Namibia, um, and and that's I think that's fantastic. I mean, it's, it opens up international cricket, and it doesn't become the exclusive preserve of the Test playing nations. Uh, nobody uh, is guaranteed anything, um, apart from the host nation, of course. But I think India might just have qualified anyway. <laughs> um, and and, it, and it's great. I mean, it, it is it is fabulous. You know, that pre-qualifying tournament, when it takes place in Harare in early 2023, there will be six, seven, eight teams who genuinely believe they have a chance to, to get into the main draw of the 2023 World Cup. And by the way, when the World Cup, the World Cup is set to expand once again uh, in 2027 back to 14 teams, I think that is uh, is a, an excellent move as well. But what it does mean by opening up four more places is that it it means that four more of the the minnow nations, the associate nations, 
have ambitions, genuine ambitions, uh, to compete in World Cups. And I just think that, uh, you know, I, it's impossible to imagine that, uh, that Test cricket can expand. In fact, sadly, I think that's going to shrink. I think that'll be uh, no more than seven or eight countries mm. uh, in future playing Test cricket. Uh, I don't think Afghanistan and Ireland will play more than an ex- exhibition test a year. But um, as for white ball cricket, the more that can expand and the smaller nations can harbour genuine ambitions to compete with the big nations, uh, I think that has to be for the good and long-term health of the game. You're listening to Dean at Stumps, hosted by Dean Duplessis. So then, a nice little trip around the world, from Ireland to Sri Lanka to Bangladesh. Thank you very much indeed for listening to the podcast. It's been a great joy and pleasure being with you and... uh, We will be back uh, pretty soon, I'm sure, with another hopefully good show. But until then, stay safe and take care. You've been listening to Dean at Stumps, Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket podcast.